Have you been waiting for just the right job? Then welcome to the end of your search. Amazon has seasonal warehouse jobs in your area, and now is a great time to apply. You can start getting paid right away and work close to home. Applying is easy. You don't even need an interview. So what are you waiting for? Come join the team and get a great seasonal job offer today. Visit Amazon.com slash hiring. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's not going to be difficult, guys. You know, we're not, we're not going to fall for the noise, okay? We came in this game on a short week after, uh, you know, emotional loss on money. I told our guys, we can't, we can't surrender to this, okay? That's what the public thinks. That's what the perceptions are. But we have no excuses today, okay? We played Monday night. It's a Sunday game. We didn't play good. We didn't play good, and it showed out there. And that team wanted it more than our football team today, and it obviously showed. But we have no excuses. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co-host and partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, I wrote this after the game. It's officially time to hit the panic button. Oh, man, it's not time to hit it. It's time to smash it over and over and over again. Uh, You can excuse Monday night's loss. They lost close to a tough team, but they had no business losing this game. And to get blown out, uh, inexcusable, inexplicable. Yeah, we definitely have a lot to dissect. So much reaction from the listeners from Broncos country today that we're going to get to as soon as possible. But first, just a couple quick pieces of business before we dive in. You guys, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. Also, take some time, if you have not done this, leave a creative review wherever you're listening to the show, but especially on iTunes and Stitcher. If you're an Android user, it's Stitcher. If you're an Apple user, it's iTunes. You have no idea how much that helps us to grow the show, reach new listeners. And for those of you who are listening on YouTube, shout out to you, iHeart, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever you're listening, we appreciate you. But take some time. Rate the show, leave a creative review, helps us out a lot. And one last piece of business before we dive in here, we got to talk about some fantasy football. Do you play fantasy football? Make sure you stay ahead of the curve with a new podcast called Fantasy Foresight. Hosts Jay and Ben focus 100% on fantasy football. They share their total foresight with private metrics and projections to help you win your fantasy football league. If you play fantasy football, whether you're a savvy vet or if this is your rookie season, you can't afford to miss their podcast. Again, it's called Fantasy Foresight. Find it on iTunes. We're going to have the listing of and the link directly to their show on iTunes in the notes of this show. So find that. Check it out. Make sure you stay on top of your fantasy league. Fantasy 
foresight. All right, Zach. New York Jets, 34. Denver Broncos, 16. And you hit the nail on the head, I think, in terms of, you know, really putting this game into perspective and the magnitude of which, you know, we have to analyze it. The Broncos yeah. didn't just go on the road and lose to a one and three team led by a rookie quarterback. They got blown out. And it wasn't just some kind of hard fought deal where, you know, the offense laid an egg and then the defense kept them in it till the end type thing. This was a complete and total and utter team failure. Yeah, like I said, the, the game against the Chiefs on Monday, they competed to the very end of that game. And that was against the NFL's best team. But to go on the road and lay an egg in a game they should have been pissed off after losing two straight, an inferior team led by a rookie turnover-prone quarterback, and to just quit. It reminded me so much of the Dolphins game from last season when they got blown out to Jay Cutler, of all people. Mm-hmm. And you replaced Jay Cutler with a rookie in Sam Darnold, the youngest starting quarterback in NFL history, and he lights that secondary up, that vaunted Broncos defense. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just a brutal loss. There was no reason for it. And it's one thing to lose, like you said, by a field goal or by a point or two, but to lose by 18 points, you just, there's nothing good you can say about it. We're going to talk here in just a few minutes, a little bit later in the show, more in depth about the, how far reaching the implications are and the ramifications coming out of this and what type of corresponding consequences might come out of this game. We're going to get to that. So, but first let's talk about what actually happened in the game just for a minute. Offensively, obviously not a lot to write home about case keenum just you know it looked like he was going to be okay to start this game the broncos were able to get a a timely turnover on new york's first possession adam gotza strips and recovers uh, a fumble and then the broncos are in business quickly keenum gets him into the end zone with uh, Cortland sutton you know posting his first touchdown of his of his career but from there things really seemed to go off the rails and I don't think there's any getting around it at this point. I mean, Case Keenum has been a lemon for the Broncos. And yep. you guys you guys heard me talk about this, both Zach and I on the show, uh, since the Keenum signing. My kind of expectation, and, and again, this I guess was viewed through a lens of optimism, but it was also based on what I saw from Keenum last year. I really saw this Case Keenum signing as having the potential to be a similar type of impact that Jake Plummer had for the Broncos way back in 2003. And that is probably not good enough to get a team over the hump, but at least good enough to stabilize the situation and put them in a position to compete for the division and for the playoffs. Obviously, Zach, that's it's just Case Keenum ain't it. And the Broncos, I think at the very least, the, the last three games, these three losses and five games in which Case Keenum has not played well at all, I think it's at least forced a discussion about what to do with the quarterback situation moving forward this week at Dove Valley. Yeah, I still think it's his team, for better or for worse. They're just paying him too much money. Uh, but we talked about this, I think, last week, that Kelly should get some reps. If only to push Case Keenum, the only thing he's known in his career is competition. He was a journeyman. And this, I think, is the worst-case scenario for Denver is getting not the Vikings version of Case Keenum, but that Texans or Rams version where he's not a a starting-caliber quarterback in the NFL, at least to this point. I mean, I thought it was a good signing. I wanted Kirk Cousins. I'm not going to lie. That's been documented. That's been out there. I wanted the Broncos to draft a quarterback. Case Keenum was not my first choice, but I figured, okay, he's coming off a career year. He's a giant upgrade on Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch. He should be good enough in that spot (laughs) to make that offense competent. 
It's just they look worse or on par as last year when they had inexperience and lackluster play. Yep. So, you know, $36 million and late in the game, he, he was misfiring on five-yard checkdowns. That is not a good return on investment at all. <sighs> yep, and it's one of those things where it's like if you dial this thing back in time, we jump in the old uh, time machine and, and go back to the draft. I was pining. Nick, Nick Kendall convinced me. I was on the fence for a time leading up to the draft, and we did our – in fact, I think it was one of the first times that you and I podcasted together when we were doing the – the mock seven round mock round table. And we were all yep, on yep. podcasting and all that, but my heart was set on the Broncos taking a quarterback. And I, I preferred Baker Mayfield and I preferred Sam Darnold uh, yep. to, no, that's not true. I preferred Baker Mayfield uh, number one and Josh Rosen, number two, then Sam Darnold. And obviously Mayfield and Darnold were off the board by the time the Broncos rolled around at pick five, but they had the opportunity to take Josh Rosen And, you know, it's going to be a rough year for Rosen in Arizona, no doubt, because of how bad that team is and how just not well they're coached right now. But I think five years down the road, it's going to be a glaring issue for the Broncos that they passed on Rosen. And and even even Josh Allen in Buffalo, you know, he's been extremely inconsistent as a starter. You never know what you're going to get, but he's making plays. He's making things happen. And you're not seeing that from Case Keenum. And this, granted, you know, again – woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we all would eat our fill. I get that. The Broncos had what they thought was a competent quarterback in Case Keenum. They had a first-round quarterback two years removed, still on the roster at the time. I do understand, and then to add on top of that, they had the best defensive player in the class dropped to them at pick five. I understand the decision to go with Bradley Chubb at that point, but I think it's this this team is going to rue their decision to pass on Rosen especially, but it wouldn't surprise me also uh, if Josh Allen goes on to have a solid career. I was actually watching Rosen right before we started podcasting in the game he's playing right now, and he made some nice throws. I mean, he's looking uh, pretty well ahead in his development. And I, th- he was my number two behind Baker Mayfield. I had Mayfield, then I had Rosen, then I had Sam Darnold, then Josh Allen. Either of those four, though, if the Broncos would have them to, to groom one of them as the potential future of this franchise, Case Keenum is not it. There's a reason why he signed a two-year contract, a team-friendly deal. He was not the franchise-caliber you know, quarterback. He was someone that's going to be a bridge starter, a hold-the-fort guy. And he's not even that right now. They want him to be a game manager. He has as many interceptions in five weeks than he did all of last season. Seven. I, it, what is he doing right for this offense? Even on a day where he had one of his better games, they still lost. And a lot of his yards today came in garbage time. Right. They had that long touchdown at Demarius Thomas. He does not doing anything to win the game for them. And yet, I think a lot of that, though, does fall on the, the play calling and the coaching. Bill Musgrave continues to mystify me. Uh, there's We're going to talk about this in just a second here, but there's no balance on offense. They have no identity still. The running game is succeeding, and they have Keenum drop back over 50 times. It, it's just mind-numbingly bad. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing with Keenum is that Statistically, you look at it in the box score, it's like, oh, wow, he had a solid game. He was over 300 yards passing. You know, he had a couple of TDs. He only was picked off once. You know, his TD to interception ratio was in the plus territory. But in reality, the majority of that came in garbage time. And Mm -hmm. all the way up until, I mean, three and a half quarters of football, Keenum was 
not seeing the field. He couldn't sense pressure. It's the same old story. He wasn't sensing pressure. He was holding on to the ball. He wasn't trusting his eyes. And when he was firing, oftentimes he was way off target. Now, yep. we're going to get to see probably later in the week from Pro Football Focus, you know, they'll they'll release some metrics on how many of his passes were turnover worthy, turnover caliber passes that weren't. But I can think of at least two times that Morris Claymore should have picked off Case Keenan oh, yeah. and he didn't. So it's just... I mean, that's the thing is he's not putting his team anywhere close to a position to cash in and be in the game. Like in the first two games, you could at least say, look, he didn't play his best football. Okay, we get it. But in the fourth quarter, when the chips were down, he came through. And it's because of those two wins that you keep hearing Vance Joseph at the podium. Oh, he's got grit. Oh, we believe in Case Keenum. Oh, he gives us a chance and all the talking points. But the reality is you put yourself in a position to win the game in the first and the second quarter. If you're having to scramble each and every week in crunch time, I mean, there's there's something wrong with your formula. And at least you go back to 2011 with the Tim Tebow and all the comebacks and the miraculous feats in the fourth quarter and overtime that season, at least the Broncos understood their formula back then. Run the football. They led the, the, the league in rushing that year. Run the football, play tight defense, and as long as you're in a position, a single-score position late in the game, you're going to trust Tim Tebow, even considering all of his limitations, to make some kind of magic and put you in a position to win the game. And more often than not, that's exactly what Tebow did. But that was a team that understood its identity, that understood where to hang its hat. And this team, offensively, they're still missing the boat. They're still missing the point. Now, look, Bill Musgrave, let, let's talk about it. I get it. In the, by the time the fourth quarter rolled around, you can't fault him for throwing the ball. I mean, they were down at one point, you know, three touchdowns essentially. And they ended up losing this game by three scores officially. But, I mean, it, that, the margin was, was pretty deep at, at a certain point. I get that it was throw, 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 throw. But, really, he abandoned the balance of this game plan early on in the game. I mean, probably the second quarter, about halfway through, when the Jets started picking up a little momentum, it's like he panicked and went, oh goodness, we've got to throw instead of just staying poised, staying collected, and leaning on Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, who, I get it, I mean, Zach Freeman was kind of shut out at first, he wasn't finding much purchase, but that's where you lean on the other guy, Philip Lindsay, who started this game off with a bang. First of all, how sad is it that we're talking up Tim Tebow as a better option than Case Keenum? That's the state of the Broncos right now. Second of all, the Broncos are trying so, so hard to make Case Keenum a thing. They're trying to make him a franchise quarterback by hook or by crook, and it's not happening. They're going away from the bread and butter. I, I mean, they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. I can throw any cliche out there, but it's true. <laughs> they're all true. Yeah. It's it's true. It's the truth right now. And the running game is is the strength of this offense, and every person sees it. Fans, media, we all see it. It's obvious. Lindsey had 5.1 yards on 12 carries. That's respectable. Freeman had 6.2 on on uh, f- on five carries. Yep. At 17 carries total, and you have your quarterback drop back 50 times. And and to your point about. They had to get in a situation to pass the ball. What's so great about having a dominant running game is it controls game flow. It would keep the opposing offense on the sideline. It would dictate the clock, the TOP, long, sustainable drives. It would have kept the defense fresh. The running game is the key to success for Denver. And Musgrave and Vance Joseph and his coaching staff, they just don't see it. and They don't want to stick with it. And it's hurting them right now. There's a reason why they're 2-3. and three. They lost three in a row. They gotta stick by the running game. And we keep saying this week after week after week. Vance and Musgrave both promised they're gonna take the training wheels off. I mean, they weren't letting him on the bike right now. 
it's 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 I don't even know how to describe what their philosophy is. It's that they're trying to make Keenum this franchise quarterback and he's not living up to billing. He's not even better than what we saw last year. Their running game definitely is, though, and their offensive run blocking scheme is. Mm -hmm. So they have to stick with that. And to go away from it, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. I think you are on to something here, and that is the team is still, the coaching staff is still somehow fooling themselves on Keenum. That's the only explanation to this blind allegiance to the passing game. You know, it's, you go back to Vance Joseph, he's talked about it a few times at the podium, but when they finally got cleats on the grass in OTAs and they saw Keenum operating the offense and they thought, wow. And then they got to training camp and they went, he's even better than we thought he was going to (laughs) be. And it's like that first initial impression has really had some legs in terms of, you know, the it's lasting effect on the minds of the coaches here because, and we've talked about this now for a couple weeks, this is not Peyton Manning out there, okay, where you can throw it on first down and still dictate to the opposing team. That is not, I mean, they need to literally batten down the hatches in Denver, okay? That means take as much of the liability and pressure off of Keenum's shoulders as you possibly can, put him into manageable situations on third down by running the football Period. End of story. You got three young backs, even Devontae Booker in his third year. It's only his third year. And you got two backs, <clears throat> excuse me, that are just, they're, they're picking up positive yards. They're doing good things. They're forcing missed tackles. They're, they're getting yards after, after contact. It's there. The offensive line, that's their strong suit, run blocking. And even in the pass blocking, the, you know, Garrett Bowles, is, he's going to get you one or two holding calls each and every week. But that <laughs> offensive line, they, they, Took a couple shots from blitzes here in the, uh, on Sunday against the Jets. And there's a couple moments, a couple lapses. But they're ma- being made to look worse as a unit because of Case Keenum, who is, I mean, he's not unloading the ball on his first or second read. His first read, he goes to throw it. Go back and watch the film. He'll go to throw it. He'll pump and then hold on and look elsewhere. He's not trusting it. He's got to unload the football. And if your quarterback is pressing like that, He's in his own head. He's stuck somehow in neutral. As a coaching staff, you're now three losses in. you got to find another way. And what I wrote in the five things we learned piece is that something needs to happen to kind of reset Case Keenum's brain chemistry. And if that means temporarily benching him or Mm -hmm. ceding some of the practice snaps to Chad Kelly, you got to do something. And we talked about this last week too, Zach. I'll serve this back over to you is we talked about, and you hit on it today already, but I think it's an important factor in this conversation right now, which is the Case Keenum psychology, undrafted, the guy who was always doubted, had to fight tooth and nail for every opportunity, never receiving any kind of benefit of the doubt. There was no draft pedigree with which he could count on. None of that. He's had to fight. He's had to... Part of the psychology of his success last year and why the Vikings never named him officially the starter that's one of the reasons why he was successful is he felt like each time he stepped onto the field, if he did not produce, he was going to lose his job. And let's face it, he's not feeling that way in Denver right now. And I think now that three games in a row, three losses in a row, I mean, think about this. Before last year, the idea of losing three games in a row, unfathomable for Broncos fans. I mean, it's just not even in the wheelhouse. Even before Peyton Manning, Okay, yeah, you had that crazy year in which things went off the rails with McDaniels, that era, I guess you could say. 
But like the idea of even losing three games in a row, I mean, that's nothing compared to the eight in a row from last year. But before <laughs> the Vance Joseph era, it was unthinkable for Broncos fans. So the team needs to recognize, they need to sit up and take notice of what happened here. We're going to talk about the defense here in a few minutes, but it's incumbent upon John Elway. We know Vance Joseph is a yes man. That's one of the reasons why he was hired. Okay, fine. John Elway, you need to be the one to say something to Vance Joseph. Pass that on to Bill Musgrave. From on high, here's the edict. Case Keenum needs to sit. Even if it's for a game, maybe Chad Kelly goes out, falls flat on his face. Who knows? But Case Keenum gets the message that. I think that's John Elway's worst nightmare is his handpicked $36 million quarterback being outplayed by a seventh rounder. Then they have another quarterback competition on their hands and the cycle continues. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on for just one second here. I think Elway and Joseph, after looking at the film from last season, they decided that a lot of the blame was on the quarterback, not necessarily the O-line, the running game, the quarterback. So they got a better one. They loaded him up with receivers. They drafted two. They kept uh, Thomas and Sanders at their, their highly paid contracts. I think they tried so hard to have this this formidable passing attack like what you saw with Peyton Manning. Not like that exactly, but something like that. Something deadly that can lead them to victories. And that's why I think they're trying so hard to make Keenum a thing. And it, it comes at the expense of the running game, which is really helping them. There is no reason and no excuse to say during the week that we're going to give a certain player more carries and then only give him five carries in that game when he's again running for six yards a carry or more like he had last week against the Chiefs. Mm. And, and the running game is controlling the clock. It's it's They're blowing them off the ball. Royce Freeman never goes down on first contact. Every time I watch him run, he's getting around the edge. He's getting to the second level. I just... I, I don't understand the thinking and making him drop back so much when you know he's not going to succeed. It's been proven over and over again. And that excuse that we talked about last couple episodes that he's not familiar yet, that he doesn't have chemistry yet, that can't really float anymore. Nope. It's week five now. Yep. He's had five regular season games, and he's shown in three of them he wasn't good enough. And you can argue that they, they barely won the first two games. So – um, the passing game is not going right now, and I, I would, at the very least, give Kelly some reps in practice, only to send a message. If they can do that with Marquette King, I know it's a much smaller scale, but if they, they signed a, a punter to the practice squad, and then a week later he was promoted and King lost his job. Why should Keenan be any different? He's a player and he's not performing. It's all about competition. So give Kelly some more reps. Let, let him breathe down Keenum's shoulder just a little bit. To show that this is not going to fly here, you step up or you will be replaced. That's why we didn't sign you to a four or five year contract. Yep. At the very least, they have to give Kelly some more reps. I don't. I think sitting him right now, Keenum, is a little too knee jerk. I think they're just too committed to him. But it, it it has to send a message that incompetence doesn't matter how highly paid you are or how much job security you think you have. The next man up is always going to be there to potentially take take your job. See, and that's the thing is it feels knee jerk. But the problem is we're coming off – I mean, we're, we are not too far removed from the Denver losing control completely and going on an eight-game skid. And the yeah. problem was, especially in week five on the road in, in New York at MetLife Stadium, it felt too much like last year. And that means something significant has to change. And we're going to talk about what the Broncos have to do in order to salvage what's left of this season and still make up – you know, make it something – 
in which they can be competitive, something to shoot for still this year. I've already got Broncos fans hitting me up now on social media about the draft. I mean, that's what this... <laughs> that's where and, we're at right now. <laughs> and I get it. I really do. Like, I'm actually there with you. A week ago, I'd have been telling you to pump the brakes. And I did. You heard me on this podcast. Put it in perspective. Hey, Peyton Manning went two and three. Blah, blah, blah. Pay, or go back to the Tebow season. They started two and five, went on to win the... Listen... Throw that out the window. What I saw today was a team completely collapsing on a physical and an emotional level. Like collapsed, gone. And John Elway knows it. So there's going to be some kind of a shakeup here. Uh, Mark my words. I don't know what it's going to be yet. We're going to talk about what it should be here in a few minutes. But there is going to be a shakeup. And we still got a lot to get to. But first, we got to talk about sponsor today's show, My Bookie. Sure, watching football is fun. But it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you heard me talking about it for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. Playoff baseball, hockey, primetime fights, and more. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My bookie has been in business for years. They've got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you gotta join now because they'll be pulling that offer. Log on to my bookie right now, double your money. Use promo code HUDDLE and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's promo code HUDDLE. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, let's talk about the defense. There, here's where we start to get into some of the implications, some of the more the far, uh, farther reaching implications from this game. And the first thing we got to talk about here, Zach, is how we're talking about the third ranked rushing defense going into this game. I mean, they didn't even relinquished through four games, 400 total rushing yards. They almost hit that in one game today on Sunday. Your Mm -hmm. Denver Broncos relinquished 323 rushing yards to the New York Jets. Now listen, I like Isaiah Crowell as much as the next guy. I mean, not... (laughs) He was, Not that much. He was he was a great uh, find for that uh, for the Browns back in the day. Undrafted, coming out of college, all his pre-draft problems and school issues and uh, transferring this and that. I get, but he's good. I get it. Two hundred nineteen yards though on fifteen carries. Two hundred and nineteen yards on fifteen carries. That's what Isaiah Crowell did to the Denver Broncos. And there's a lot that went into that. I mean, as far as dissecting it. And we'll talk about the emotional side probably a little bit more here in just a few minutes. But what I saw specifically was a defensive line that was just getting blown off the ball. I saw Todd Davis and Brandon Marshall picking terrible angles, picking the wrong holes to fill. I saw safeties who are supposed to be the last line of defense also taking terrible angles. And then all across the board, Zach, we saw horrid, terrible tackling. And that's that's been the theme for the last couple of weeks now f- since the season started, and that falls on coaching. And to your point about Crowell, he's a good player, not an all pro, uh, you know, not certainly not Walter Payton in his prime. That's right. Last week against the Jaguars, he had four carries for zero yards mm. against Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson. So if you want to compare defenses, the Broncos aren't even close right now to Jacksonville. And ground control, we hardly knew you. I don't know where this – the Broncos' run defense last year was a strength when the the pass defense kind of went down the tubes a little bit. 
and they're just getting gassed right now, blown off the ball. Uh, you you hit it all in the head. I can't even add to your points. You 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 got it perfectly. Uh, Todd Davis, Brandon Marshall, they have disappointed me this year. And Brandon Marshall again was hurt. He hurt his knee again. The, the angles of the of the secondary, you know, Chris Harris even and Rally Roby who had a terrible game. Um, Darian Stewart, who should have been cut this offseason, he continues to be a, a detriment to this defense and the tackling. I mean, what more could you say? They don't wrap up anymore. They go high. Um, they don't even try to go low. There's no technique. They're not being coached correctly. And that's what it comes down to. Running backs are getting to the edge and they're just spreading down the sideline. And either Broncos players like Darian Stewart or Todd Davis, they're not fast enough to keep up or they don't take the proper angles or they just can't bring them down to the ground. Either way, it all comes back to coaching and player management. And it falls, and I say this a lot, on Vance Joseph and to, you know, by extension, John Elway for keeping that personnel around. It, 323 rushing yards to Isaiah Crowell. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you told me that before the game, I would have said, you know, what was the final score in the Madden game you had? Are you playing on rookie? I would not even, you know, fathom that. And for that to happen in reality, it's, it's boggling. Yep. Brandon Marshall needs to get off the field plain and simple i know he's banged up there's your excuse denver i know you're paying him eight million or whatever it is this year but look at that as a blessing in disguise that he's banged up more opportunity for josie jewel to see the field and now it's time to bump joe jones and give him a chance on defense because joe jones continues to play well as a as a special teams guy as a gunner and he plays with intensity He's physical. That's what the Broncos need right now, an off-ball linebacker. And, you know, one of the things is you talk about Crowell. I mean, to see how the level of intensity with which he ran on Sunday, I mean, when contact was made and a defender met Crowell like that one-on-one, Crowell was hell-bent that he was not going down on first contact. And you you talk about out-physicaling an opponent. You talk about wanting it more than your opponent – There's no question that the Broncos, from a want, from an intensity, from a desire perspective, could not hold a candle to the New York Jets today. And, and, I mean, the running back situation was the perfect example of that. I mean, you even had, now granted, Bilal Powell, he's probably a more accomplished running back in this league than Crowell, but not by much. I mean, he he touched the ball 20 times. He at one point was actually over 100 yards rushing, but finished with 99. So the Broncos actually gave up, let's just call it what it is, at one point in the game, they gave up 100 yards plus to two separate runners. I mean, how often have they even given up a 100-yard rushing game to a single rusher? Hardly ever in the last, let's say, five years, since Derek Wolf, for example, came to Denver. It's just something else is going on. And that's kind of a good segue, I think, Zach. We'll talk about Bradley Roby here in a minute. But I think that's a good segue into Derek Wolf's post-game comments. Now, for those of you who missed it, after the game, Derek Wolf was being asked about what went wrong, what are your thoughts, blah, blah, blah. Nikki Jabvala of The Athletic, she tweeted something that is, I mean, if this doesn't put the hairs, make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, I don't know what will. But Derek Wolf said, quote, same old bleep every week. I'm tired of talking about the same bleep the last two years. Something deeper is going on here. Close quote. And that's, again, via, uh, via Nikki Jabvala of The Athletics. So what does that tell you, Zach? I mean, if we're talking about implications now, we're talking about what it all means. Derek Wolf. I mean, obviously he's always going to give you that raw, off-the-cuff response. He's not one to, you know, cower or, or uh, self-edit uh, himself much in front of the microphone. 
He's willing to tell it like it is. That's just the way he is, right? As a guy, as a teammate, as a player, as a pro, if he's willing to say something deeper is going on here, how do we interpret that? Well, I hate to answer a question with a question, but what's the common denominator between this this year and last year? Mm-hmm. It's Vance Joseph. It's the coaching. And I hate to always harp on it, always hang my hat on that, but they're not being coached correctly. There is no coincidence as to why this defense went off a cliff after Vance Joseph and Joe Woods came to town as in, in their respective jobs. I, and I think, you know, the Broncos defense, I'm not exonerating them completely. They're soft right now. And I hate to use that word because it's a giant slap in their face and it's a giant insult to their manhood, but they are. For Isaiah Crowell and the, Bron- and the Jets rushing offense to pile up 300 yards, they are soft. Their bark is bigger than their bite right now. They can't stop a nosebleed right now. Mm-hmm. So he, he interprets something deeper, and it's that old rift that you've heard about the last couple of years. You saw it in Gary Kubiak's final year when there was almost a mutiny between the offense and the defense, when there was a locker room rift. I think for a while the defense was so tired of carrying the offense, and that's that's the way they're programmed now. Regardless of how well the offense does, they're just programmed to think like it's two separate teams in that locker room. It's the offensive Broncos and the defensive Broncos. And, you know, I don't – I would agree with it if the Broncos offense, you know, I don't know. At one point, I think the Broncos offense did enough. They, they got out to a hot start, and the defense just collapsed. I mean, they let up 34 points yep. to this Jets. I mean, it's – how could you make a comment like that when you failed in your job? Right. You should point the finger at yourself. 21 points relinquished by the Broncos defense in the second quarter. In the second quarter alone. So, again, yeah – Derek Wolf, maybe he's not necessarily making excuses or at least pointing fingers here. Maybe just giving in the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's just saying, look, I'm tired of talking about the same stuff. Uh, the last two years, it's the same thing every week. Something deeper is going on here. Maybe he's not necessarily pointing fingers or trying to shuck the blame here, but really pointing to, this, to as you said, the common denominator through the struggles the Broncos have faced as an organization – for the better part of the last you know, two seasons, and that's Vance Joseph. There is some kind of disconnect. Now, you've heard me talk about it on this show. You've read it in, on the website. You've seen it on social media. I have tried to keep people, uh, you know, tried to give some perspective to fans because, again, we've talked about it. It's the penchant that most fans have when things go sideways for a team is to blame the coaching, and sometimes there's more to it. And I've talked about it before, and today was a perfect example where the execution was just as much to blame as the lack of preparation or the poor coaching in-game. And in this case, though, it's it's happening too much. It's each and every week. It's the same story, just as Derek Wolf said. Same thing, different week. And at some point, you have to call a spade a spade. You just have to be honest about the situation. And I think you go back to John Elway's decision, and this was something I questioned at the time his decision to pass on Kyle Shanahan to hire Vance Joseph, I saw that as a mistake. And I think one of the reasons why is that coming out of the two coaching situations in which he was kind of bitten, the whole thing, the way things ended with John Fox, and then getting really excited and investing as much in Gary Kubiak and winning a Super Bowl only to have him wither under the pressure and step down, he kind of wanted more control himself, and he hired a yes man. And I think, Zach, hiring that yes man has come back to bite him because, sure, Vance Joseph, he'll do whatever John Elway tells him because, you know what, rolls downhill. But he's not, in getting that yes man, he has forsaken Elway 
actual innovative coaching. And the Broncos across the board, and it starts with Vance Joseph, they are not getting it done. Week in, week out, they're being outcoached by opposing staffs. And in like in today's case against the Jets, that was a lesser team. I'm telling you right now, there is more talent on the Broncos' side of the field than on the Jets. But a yes. lot of that came down to coaching. And so I think the yes-man factor is playing a role here in, in Elway's in the magnitude of Elway's mistake to hire VJ. Don't forget Sean McVay passed on him too. They they interviewed three people and one of them was Kyle Shanahan. One one of them was Vance Joseph. One was Dave Taub. They hired Vance Joseph. I mean, you have a a 66% chance of getting a better coach and you take the 33% route. Uh, It's backfired. I think on John Elway, it has because the Broncos deficiencies, it goes beyond just coaching. And it's shown that Elway is not this, God, I mean, he was a great player. He was a good executive for a while. He led them to a lot of success, but it's opened him up to a lot more criticism by picking the wrong guy, by putting the wrong players on the field. I think it's really backfired on him. And you can say that for him if, you know, he buys the groceries, so to speak, as Bill Parcells would say, but he hired the wrong coach to make the meal. And to get out coached by Todd Bowles, a guy who's on more of a hot seat than Vance Joseph, a team like you said, and like I said earlier, that had no business winning this game, that has less talent, it's an indictment. The Broncos are constantly have um, you know procedural penalties, delay of game, uh, 12 men on the field. They're never prepared. They never have that energy. I mean, that falls directly, and you can't really point the finger anywhere else. It falls on coaching. That's their job, is to get the players ready to play, to put them in the best possible positions to succeed. And when was the last time you saw that? Like Gary Kubiak, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, people ran him out of town and they were happy to see him gone, but the grass ain't always greener. And Broncos fans would kill right now for Gary Kubiak. He would be like, you know, Vince Lombardi compared to Vance Joseph right now. So it's backfired on Elway for sure. He didn't pick the right guy. And hopefully his next choice is a guy who has an offensive background because hiring defensive guys it should it taught him at least with less experience it's not the route to go yeah we're going to talk about some options there here in a few minutes but you know when you, it, the problem is the broncos post super bowl 50 have faced multiple situations in which a pivotal decision had to be made the first being the head coach situation with vance joseph and that was the decision a guy like sean McVay has gone on to wild success let me tell you something he wasn't even on Denver's radar. Nope. Okay? If he was, he would have been brought in for an interview. He wasn't. And honestly, he was kind of a guy that was last at the table. Like, by the time the Rams hired him, he was kind of the last guy with a decent resume who was looking for a head coaching job left on the market. Like, he was one of the last coaches hired in that that season, that, that coaching carousel, period. And if that doesn't tell you something about the way Elway viewed his ideal candidate at that time, I don't know what will. But even Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan was like, I mean, it was storybook. It made perfect sense. It was a match made in football heaven, and yet Elway defied the football gods in that sense. Let him, brought him in for the interview, turned him down for Vance Joseph. And I could understand why you would pass on a guy like Shanahan for uh, another coach if that coach brought some kind of bona fides himself. But let's not forget, Vance Joseph had one year of coordinator experience prior to being hired as the head coach in Denver. As the Miami Dolphins DC, 
they finished pretty much bottom third in almost every major statistical category, and yet they somehow magically found a way to make the playoffs that year. But and and in so doing, that kind of gave Vance Joseph his star was kind of burned all the all the much more brighter, so to speak. And he already kind of had an in with the organization because Kubiak wanted him, Elway wanted him to be the defensive coordinator when Kubiak was hired. But at that time, as the secondary coach in Cincinnati, the Bengals blocked him from being able to come to Denver. And so what did they do? They hired the second choice, which was also a former Kubiak guy, which was Wade Phillips, which turned out to be a blessing, obviously, and a huge blessing for the Denver Broncos. But it's ironic. It wasn't even Elway's first decision. Wade Phillips, it was Vance Joseph to be the defensive coordinator. And Mm -hmm. some, I mean, we've talked about it before, but my goodness, this guy must give one hell of an interview, Zach. I don't know what he said or what he did. He, he sold himself on being a leader of men. But who has he led so far? Who has he developed? Who has he, who's gotten better under his watch? I can't name one player. They've all gotten worse. He, he brings these intangibles to the table. But you don't win with intangibles. You win with on-field product yep. and tangible success. And they've... 5-11, 8-game losing streak, and they come out, they lose three games already in a row this year. They're just getting worse and worse and worse under his watch. And Elway defied that logic because he thinks he knows better. That's his ego. That's why he stuck by Pax and Lynch for so long. He doesn't say uncle until the absolute last second. He wanted to fire Vance Joseph last year. He slept on it. He didn't want that stain on his resume. He didn't want the egg on his face of firing a head coach after only one season, which has never been done before in Broncos history. He thought, okay, I can break him. I can bring him back. I can give him a better supporting cast. Let him pick his coaches. Let him get a better quarterback. And then if he fails, he's digging his own grave. I can say, you know what? I gave him another year. That's on you now. I can fire you with probable cause. Elway thought he knew better, and it backfired on him completely. If I had to describe Vance Joseph right now, I mean, just being kind, I'd have to say that he's in over his head. But he's it's week in and week out, it's just inept. And it's it's sad, you know. The Denver Broncos had a chance to right the ship. They invested in new personnel both in the draft and in free agency. And every decision, all the pivotal points this organization has faced post-Super Bowl 50 – you know, do I go left or do I go right? Each decision has backfired and has been the wrong decision, and the team continues to pay the price. Now, before we move on to the mailbag, we got to exercise some demons. One last thing I want to talk about is, is Bradley Roby, who was mm. on the Terrible. losing end of two deep touchdown passes to Robbie Anderson. And unfortunately, if this was like a single-game anomaly, you could just kind of charge it to the game, just didn't go our way. You know, the Broncos were just a weird situation. The stars aligned for the Jets. But no, this has been a trend for Bradley Roby in a contract year in which he had the perfect opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to go out and make a ton of money in my second contract. And I thought it was interesting. Alex uh, Valdez said on Twitter during the game that, hey, here's the silver lining, basically. At least the Broncos, you know, going into the season, everyone was like, oh, man. How are the Broncos going to manipulate the cap in order to figure out how to, you know, afford Bradley Roby post-2018? That's not going to be a problem. I mean, Roby's going to be lucky to even find a starting job on the open market at this rate. Well, I mean, the, for the Broncos, yeah, they don't have to worry about his contract being too excessive, but they don't have another cornerback. 
who do they have? Chris Harris Jr., who's kind of slipped this year. I hate to say it. Um, Isaac Yadam, who's still a developmental guy. Adam Jones and Tremaine Brock, they can't even get on the field. Brendan Langley, I mean, they, they're probably forced by default to bring back Bradley Roby or draft a corner or sign another one. It's not a good situation right now. And I had such high hopes for him, too. I thought, okay, they, they traded to keep to leave. He's ready. He's a former first-round pick. I thought he looked pretty good last year. He fits this scheme, and he's just gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And it started in the preseason, and I wrote it off. I said, okay, it's the preseason. It doesn't matter. The games don't count for real. He'll get better. Every week, though, he's getting targeted by another quarterback every single week. And today, he didn't even get his head around. He didn't even look for the ball. He just got toasted off the line of scrimmage. Should have had over-the-top safety help. Darian Stewart was too slow. That's the story of his season. You can't leave him one-on-one. So that falls on coaching to me. Don't leave Bradley Roby one-on-one. But they're going to have to find some help. And Vance kind of touched on that. They'll turn over every rock. They'll look for anything they can do to help the team. Because they don't have a secondary right now. They have one good corner, and the rest are either mediocre or injured. And Bradley Roby has been one of the biggest disappointments this season. Probably the biggest one on the defensive side of the ball. If Case Keenum's on the offensive side, it's just been um, not what I expected from him at all. Yeah. I mean, the team is going to, they don't have a ton of options right now, um, but they will after the season. They will in free agency. They'll have some options in the draft, obviously. But they do have some options right now. You know, the, the street market is not good, obviously. They they passed on the opportunity to sign Bashad Breeland. Um, but there are some options. I laid them out in a piece earlier this week. You can go find it um, on the trading block. There are some options out there. It would require the team giving up some capital in exchange, but there is an opportunity there for Denver to bolster their cornerback depth before the trade deadline on October 30th. But, you know, one thing, it's like, I mean, look at it look at it like this when it comes to Denver's passing defense. I mean, Sam Darnold, he threw the ball 22 times, okay? He dropped back to pass 23 times, threw it 22 times, was sacked once. He only completed 10 balls. Ten completions, but it went for 198 yards, three touchdowns. And if you want to see a perfect example of why quarterback rating in the NFL is a totally useless statistic, Darnold finished that game with a rating of 98.1. Case Keenum finished the game with a 95 rating. That tells you everything you need to know about that particular statistic when it comes to the NFL. All right, so... We do still obviously have a lot more to get to, including your reaction, your questions coming out of Denver's third straight loss, some of the implications that are on your mind. We're going to also get to the bottom of what the Broncos need to do here as far as solutions to salvage this season. But first, we got to say thank you to sponsor today's show, Audible. You guys go out and get yourselves a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You get over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. It's a product, it's a service, it's an app that I utilize literally each and every day because I'm a huge reader, but I don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books that I want to read. Audible gives me the opportunity to do that without having to sit down and spend the time. I can I can do it while I'm driving. I can do it while I'm cooking. I can do it while I'm at the gym. So take this opportunity. You get a 30-day free trial and your first book free. Go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests. Each and every week, we're here to offer absolution and answers 
to your burning Broncos questions. And we, not, we might not be able to offer absolution to the Broncos right now because I don't think there's any forgiving that sin that <laughs> took place in week five. But we can at least offer absolution to the fans and, and really try and help you exercise the demons. And I think the first thing to address here comes from Adam on Twitter, at Deuce Sirius uh, on Twitter. His question is, what changes need to be made to redeem this season or at the very least get the bad taste out of Broncos country's mouth? Now, before I serve this up to you, let's look at it this way, Zach. Now, obviously, you know, the the emotions are still running high. Um, Neither one of us have had the opportunity to sit down and watch the game more than our first initial viewing. So there's that. But let's say you could be in one in, in the room tomorrow at Dove Valley, sitting in there with Elway and Kubiak and Vance Joseph, and you could in some way offer up solutions or alternatives to what the what's been going on with the Broncos in order to turn the ship around. What are some of the changes that you would offer up that this team could look at realistically as a means in which to to make make a turnaround? At a minimum, I would give Chad Kelly some reps in practice this week to push Keenum a little bit. And I would explore a trade or a signing for a cornerback, get him some help back there. And if they want to go to an extreme route, like you saw last year, they made Mike McCoy a scapegoat. Why not do it with Joe Woods? I know it's Van Joseph's guy, but something has to change. If the playoffs are a legitimate goal for the Broncos this season, and the two and three, it's kind of slipping away from them, but they still have a chance here if they, you know, get some wins. If the playoffs are a goal, they're not going to make it with this roster and this coaching staff. So the very minimum, you have to push the players who are failing right now. And that is Case Keenum, that's the cornerbacks, and that's the coaching. They're not a player, but you know what I'm talking about. If they want to send a message, they can do a big-time message by by cutting a coach or demoting them, whatever. Or publicly putting them on notice. Elway can come out and kind of um, not throw – Joseph under the bus, but kind of put him on notice a little bit and say, like, you know, you have to step up or it's not acceptable. He did it last year. He called the Broncos soft midseason, and that didn't sit right with his coaching staff or his players, but it sent a message that it's not going to be tolerated. He made a lot of changes this offseason, and it was because last season was so bad. So at the minimum, you got to give Kelly some more reps, I think, to push Case Keem a little bit. Yeah. They got to figure out to want to do a cornerback. I think Bradley Robin needs to sit. I would even sit Garrett Bowles, who looks worse and worse by the week. At one point, he was replaced for Wilkinson. Maybe give Wilkinson some first-team reps. Maybe go sign a tackle. I don't. They have to do something, though. They have to send a message. Complacency is what's going to kill the season for Denver. It cannot be tolerated. Yep. And I think we really are past and beyond the let's not make a mountain out of a molehill type of, of mindset. I mean, this is not a molehill anymore. This is a mountain. And it needs to be addressed and approached from a problem-solving perspective that way. And I'll say this to answer my question and answer Adam's question, I should say. If I was in that room, I would be advocating for the Denver Broncos to bench Case Keenum. And Mm. I understand that Chad Kelly has next to no NFL experience. I understand that he's very raw. I understand that he's the epitome of inexperienced at this point. But... The Broncos need to do two things. One, they need a spark. And you don't just make a change for a spark alone sake. You don't just do that. But they need a spark, and it serves another purpose. You kill two birds with one stone. If you get the spark, great. You're better off than you were before. But even if you don't, you're sending a message to Case Keenum, and you're putting the pressure on him. Now, look, 
I get it. He feels the pressure of three straight losses. It's not like he's not feeling it. But in terms of the urgency that can, you know, the the, the sense of self-preservation that can elevate a quarterback's play like Case Keenum, that's what's missing from the equation. And if Chad Kelly comes in and plays well, problem solved anyway. Now you just got yourselves an expensive backup, and it is what it is. At least you can say Chad Kelly was a draft pick of the team. And if he comes in, falls flat on his face, Zach, at least you send a message to Case Keenum that that level of play, three consecutive losses, is just not something that's going to be tolerated from the starting quarterback around Denver. Another thing is, I don't know that you can fire Joe Woods without firing Vance Joseph. I mean, honestly, because they're kind of tied together. And I, you know, Vance Joseph has has defended and, and stood up for Joe Woods in many cases. And it's kind of hard to say, like, is did Vance Joseph pick Joe Woods or was that John Elway? Because we know that one of the reasons and that the team was so confident in letting Wade Phillips go and not meeting his demands for pay or requests for pay was because they felt like they had one of the hottest, up-and-coming, brightest, young defensive minds in Joe Woods ready to step in and be defensive coordinator. Then you get Vance Joseph coming in, and it just wasn't a good mix. Those two together have not been a good combination. So I don't know that from a coaching perspective going into week six, as far as firing people, really anything can be changed unless you're going to fire the head coach. But personnel-wise, here's some changes I would also make on top of the quarterback. Garrett Bowles, you're on the bench. I was hopeful when he started uh, going sideways in week five in uh, MetLife Stadium with Wilkinson dressed. I was hoping we were going to see him at, at left tackle send another message. I mean, that's a thing, man. There is no accountability right now None. for the Denver Broncos. Garrett Bowles, sit your ass down. <laughs> um, Brandon Marshall, sit your ass down. Darian Stewart, you're benched, dude. You're benched for good unless we got nobody else. But guess what? We do. We've got DeMonte Thomas. We've got... Sua Craven's going to be coming back here in a few weeks. We got Will Parks. We got Shamarco Thomas, who did not dress on Sunday. So they're, it's not like the Broncos are devoid of options beyond Darian Stewart. Enough's enough. Get him out of there. I mean, Justin Simmons, we've talked about him being a disappointment this year as well. A lot of the reason I think that Simmons has struggled is because of how bad Darian Stewart's played. But neither mm-hmm. one of them have been ideal last lines of defense. Let's face it, Bradley Roby, you can't bench him, unfortunately. You just don't have any other options. But what you can do is scheme around that situation and try and provide him some help over the top whenever you can. And then lastly, I think one of the other changes that needs to be made is that someone's got to light a fire under Vaughn Miller. I don't know what it's going to take, but this is the third straight game in which he has virtually disappeared. I mean, at least last week, yeah, he wasn't able to get home in terms of pressuring Patrick Mahomes, but he at least got the pressures. I mean, there was a few sacks that... Mahomes stepped out of on the part of Von Miller there. This game, I mean, granted they only threw it 22 times and that running game was so pro- prolific that it kept the pass rush on its uh, on its heels, so to speak. That was the perfect way to mitigate Denver's strength as a defense. But there were several third and long situations in which Miller, Bradley Chubb, Shane Ray, I mean, we're talking about three first-round picks. We're talking about two of them being top five picks. They're not getting it done. And you can't bench Von Miller, and I'm sure as hell, let me be clear about this, not advocating anything close to benching Von Miller. But some kind of message has to be sent to him. I don't know if that means you bring him in a room, Zach, sit him down and say, hey, man, what's going on? You're not getting home. 
we're paying you all this money. You're, you know, mouthpiece of the team. You're a face of the franchise. You're not getting it done. He just doesn't seem to be playing with intensity. I have an idea. Play Demarcus Walker. Let him play for once. Let it get some interior pass rush going and see if that helps Von Miller and the outside linebackers. Ding, 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 ding. No reason not to play him. And it gets me so heated because every single week, no matter the matchup of the quarterback of the scheme, they don't play him. It's his second round pick last year. And to have him sit on the sidelines for a player like Zach Kerr, who does, who offers nothing to me, absolutely nothing, I, you need some interior push. And they got rid of Clinton McDonald. I thought, okay, they're going to get Demarcus Walker more time on the field. This is a breakout year. And now they're not even dressing him. So Vaughn can't do it alone. He's shown that. I don't know what his deal is. He, he's been a magician. He's been disappearing. But they, they have no help from the front lines. Derek Wolf is good in run support, and Adam Gotts is good at run support. They're not pass rushers. They need that defensive end pass rusher. That's exactly what Demarcus Walker's game is. To not have him play is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is a guy like Zach Kerr, I understand he's a veteran. He knows his assignments. He's versatile. He can play anywhere on the defensive line. And he has a phenomenal get-off. But he does not have anything close to game-changing ability. Demarcus Walker, for all of his foibles and inexperience, he actually has ability in his, his skill set to change the game. Even if it's simply as an interior pass rusher that you address him only to bring him in on third down, that's fine. But it's time to get Demarcus Walker on the field because Sam Darnold, not only was he, I think that's one of the reasons that Von Miller and company are struggling a little bit here. Not an excuse. I don't want to, I don't want Broncos fans to hang their hats on this as some reason in which Von Miller should be taken off the hook for his lack of impact three weeks in a row. But it's a symbiotic situation on the defense, on the front seven when it comes to a pass rush. Pass rushers feed off of quarterbacks feeling the interior pressure, and vice versa. Interior pressure feeds off of quarterbacks stepping up in the pocket because of the edge rush turning the corner. So you need both of them playing at a consistent level, and the team hasn't gotten any of that. It's simply been, let's hope that that Von Miller can bend the edge. And sometimes he's going to be able to do it. He should be able to do it a a heck of a lot more, a heck of a lot more than he has the last three weeks. But it's just not happening. And I think you're right. Demarcus Walker can be a legitimate solution to changing up the chemistry on that defensive line and hopefully put more pressure on these quarterbacks and shake something loose. Now, we move on to the next question here in the mailbag from James Pittman at Jambeer on Twitter. Any chance Zach Joseph gets canned this week if he was hired for his defensive expertise? This was a total failure. And what was funny, he's also a second, former secondary coach, and the secondary is falling off a cliff. He can't develop anyone. No, he doesn't get fired this week. They're not going to even make changes to the coaching staff, as far as Joseph says, so he's not going to get fired. And I didn't think he would. The earliest, I think, would be the bye week. We've talked about that before. Week 10, that's a, a, you know, a plausible time to make a change and install Musgrave as the interim, but not this week. It would take a few more blowouts for Elway to start thinking, okay, let's put those wheels into motion a little bit. Let's get that spinning. Let's see how we can replace them. It's not going to happen this week. Yeah. The best you can hope for if you want Joseph to be gone is to lose. And I hate to say it. I know it's taboo for, to root for your team to tank. That's what you have to do. Because if they win, it's only going to bolster Joseph's job security. So if you want Joseph to be gone, got to root them to lose. And it could happen. Mm. Their schedule gets tougher now. Yep, They're supposed to beat the teams they should beat. And they've lost to them. And they got blown out by the Jets today. So they're going to have – they play the Rams next week. That's going to be a problem. Mm. They get blown out at home. 
then, you know, you could start talking about maybe, you know, week 10's almost here. Maybe it can happen by then, but definitely not this week. I think he gets midseason or at the end of the year. And then depending on how they finish with the record, Elway could decide what he wants to do then. One thing that we got to talk about here, and this we've touched on it um, earlier in the show, but this question from Chase Beck, he says his question on Twitter, Chase Beck at Bronco Beck, at John Elway hired a yes man. Who is really to blame? How many more coaches is he allowed to hire? So here's what I wanted to ask you, Zach, is we've already touched on that, but the question that ties into what Chase brings up here, the issue, the topic, is should John Elway be the one who decides the next head coaching hire, or should that be taken off his plate and be something in which, you know, maybe he is, he's, he obviously plays a role in the decision as far as a voting power or whatever, but it's not laid at his feet as his sole decision. Joe Ellis plays a role, Gary Kubiak. They're, they're the ones who take more of the onus on who the next head coach is because this was such a quintessential catastrophic decision, it would seem, to hire Vance Joseph. How many more coaches, as Chase puts it here, should he be allowed to hire? I don't foresee the Broncos becoming the UN, and they're not going to, you know, share their power responsibility. It's going to be Elway's call. He's the GM for a reason. Got a big contract extension, tons of job security. He's still the man there. I'm sure Ellis will give his input, Kubiak, Matt Russell, but it's Elway's call, and it's up to him. You, you got to put your faith in him. You know, that's why he holds a job. Until they fire him, he's going to make these calls. He gets final say on coaching, on personnel. Hopefully. It's an offensive coach, not a defensive coach. Hopefully it's a guy who has experience, who's won, who brings more to the table than just, um, you know, sayings and, and becoming a leader of men. But it, it will be Elway's call. He will get to pick the next head coach. He is to blame for hiring Vance Joseph, but Joseph is to blame for the coaching schemes that are put in place. It's a two-way thing. It's bo- on both of them. And Elway gave Joseph more autonomy this offseason to hire his own coaching staff. Brought in a new quarterbacks coach, running backs coach, receivers coach, tweaked the, def- the defense, special teams. That was on Vance Joseph. So Elway kind of backed off a little bit, and he wanted to kind of give Lin- give Joseph enough rope to hang himself, essentially. And he's doing that. Now he can fire him and say, listen, I did I did my job. It was all on you now. I gave you two chances. You didn't succeed. It's time to go. So he will pick the next head coach. We can only hope he has better foresight than he had with Vance Joseph. And I think if you look at Elway's track record as a guy who hires head coaches, I mean, he's gotten two out of three right. I don't think you can say he made the wrong decision hiring John Fox. Like, that was the right decision in the right situation. A guy who, you know, is an experienced veteran NFL coach who's been almost to the very top of the mountain, got the Carolina Panthers to a Super Bowl, which they almost won were it not for some late-game heroics by Tom Brady. They would have won that Super Bowl, and, and Fox would have had a ring. That was the right decision. It just didn't work out. Uh, and then Gary Kubiak was obviously the right decision. I mean, he made some very controversial uh, controversial decisions in 2015. Gary Kubiak did that still ended up being the right decisions that got Bron- the Denver Broncos over the hump and able to win the Super Bowl. So this was the wrong decision. I mean, let's face it, to hire Vance Joseph. But it's not like Chase John Elway has absolutely no idea what a competent and capable. NFL head coaching candidate really looks like. So I just think that they're going to learn a lot from this. I think they're going to look for more for guys who have more of a track record when it comes to hiring an NFL coach like Vance Joseph. Sure. He had over a decade of NFL coaching experience, but only as a position coach, as a secondary guy, one year of coordinator experience. I think if the Broncos do end up firing Joseph and going a different direction, head coach wise, 
They're going to hire an offensive-minded coach, I think. And I think they're going to find a way to spend on a, on a bona fide defensive coordinator somehow, some way, try and get someone. And I think also that as far as a, a resume, they're going to look for a coordinator who, or even, I wouldn't even put it past them to, to hire someone who's been a head coach before, but they're going to look for a coordinator, I think, Zach, that has more of a pedigree and more of a track record of sustained success. And there's a ton of them out there. You know, there's John Filippo, Matt LaFleur. There's candidates to be found out there. And they've proven at this level they can win. Not a guy who had one year as a coordinator and didn't do anything with it. And his experience is bad experience. Something to write home about. And Elway, the thing he hates the most is hearing criticism. He hates his ego being damaged and his pride being dented. And that's exactly what happened with Vance Joseph. Hopefully he learned his lesson. That's all we can hope for. Is that he made this mistake... And he'll say to himself, I'm not going to do this again. I will take into consideration Gary Kubiak and Joe Ellis's suggestions. I will look for the best offensive coach I could find with a guy who has experience and has proven success at this level, or maybe even the college level, a guy who has success, and we can hope to get it right the next time around. If they go for a first-time head coach, I agree with you. They should go for a veteran defensive coordinator. They had the ideal setup with Gary Kubiak and Wade Phillips. And it's so sad that they pushed out Gary, they pushed out both, essentially, including Wade Phillips, to hire Vance Joseph. It was a double whammy there. Yeah. This kind of ties into the next question from, from Jacob Smith here. But his question is, at JSMileHigh9798 on Twitter, who really believes Elway will let Joseph lose out until the bye week, at worst, obviously? Meaning that what Jacob's saying here is, who believes if the Broncos continue to lose? Because, look, you got the Rams and you got the Chiefs again. Right, that's what the Broncos are facing in the next two weeks. If the if they lose out or continue to lose next week, they lose the week after that. Jacob's point is: Do you think Elway will allow that to happen without just cutting ties with Joseph? Like we said, I think the Week Ten buy is the perfect time this year to make a move. If they have any type of losing streak, if they lose three or four games, or I guess three games, you know, if they're on any sort of losing pattern or they've looked really bad. It can be enough to justify for Elway to make a move at the bye week. So if they go on a losing streak, if they don't win any games between here and week 10, he will fire him. I don't think that's any question at all. If they start to win, though, they get some momentum going, they improve, then I think Elway gives Joseph the rest of the year. It all depends on what they do the next couple weeks. This Rams game at home could be a big barometer for them. It's not looking too good in the win column, but how they play in that game and how they respond to coming off an embarrassing blowout could give us insight as to how long Joseph will stick around for. Mm-hmm. I do not. It's going to get worse before it gets better, Broncos right. country. I'm, I'm telling you right now. And now, maybe that would be different if they weren't facing two of the, arguably the two best teams in the NFL back-to-back. I mean, but they are. And I don't think, you know, this was asked to me on Twitter during the game, but is there a team that you're sure the Broncos could beat in the NFL right now? I... I can't think of one that I would say, you know what, that circled that one as a W. Knowing what we know about the Broncos at this point, I don't think there's a team in the league right now you could count on the Broncos to beat, which is a scathing indictment on Vance Joseph and just portends very shaky, sketchy things on the near horizon. So who knows? We're, we're starting to get into kind of uncharted territory, uncharted waters for the Broncos, Jacob. So I think all bets are off at this point in terms of decisions that can be made from on high, including the quarterback situation, including the coaching situation. But his follow-up question, Jacobs, was ideal scenario next offseason. Let me just 
throw this out real quick before I serve it over to you, Zach. To me, the ideal scenario is the kid from Oregon, Herbert, okay, in the draft, coupled with, before that, an innovative head coaching hire, an, an offensive mind. I like Jim Bob Cooter. Uh, now, it's a name to keep an mm. eye on. It's a Great funny name. name. It's, it's a weird <laughs> name. It's a, well, we won't go down that path, but it's, it's, a, it's one of those names that makes you do a double take. But Jim Bob Cooter... I want to remind fans that don't know maybe that he was in Denver. He was part of that coaching staff that helped to dial up the most prolific offense in the history of the NFL, scoring 606 points. He was an offensive assistant that year under Adam Gase as offensive coordinator. He's now the offensive coordinator in Detroit uh, for the Lions under Matt Patricia. He's got ties to the organization. He's got, you know, um, experience with Elway. So Keep an eye on him, but that would be my ideal situation. A guy like Cooter, QB in the draft. But here's the thing is, what about Chad Kelly? Because fans are going to want to know where Chad Kelly fits in as far as the future is concerned because we know what this team's penchant is. Their penchant is to, that delusional penchant to say, you know what, look, our talent across the board, you know what, we're one middle-of-the-road quarterback away from winning it all, all over again. But we know the error of that train of thought we know that that is not on point I think Chad Kelly so let's say the Broncos lose the next two games which they are more than likely to lose I think at worst you you know the Case Keenum experiment was a failure it's time to roll the dice on Chad Kelly because your season is not going to get any better with Case Keenum and you need enough of a sample size you can't for example let's say the Broncos just continue to suck with Keenum at the helm and then you get into week 17, it's like, okay, let's play Chad Kelly. That's not going to give you enough actionable information with which to make decisions in the spring when it comes to the quarterback situation. So you need to, you're, you're, they're going to need to figure out what they have in Chad Kelly a lot sooner than week 16 or 17 this year in order to, I think, Zach, inform their decision in the offseason next year. Let me just backtrack for one second. We talked about one team the Broncos could beat. They played the Cardinals in a couple of weeks, and I thought there's no way they could uh, lose to them. But they're about to beat the 49ers, and they play them at Arizona in primetime Thursday night. If they lose that game, all bets are off with Vance Joseph. I just want to touch on that real quick. My ideal offseason, I agree with you. Get a competent, preferably you know high-profile quarterback like Herbert and hire a bona fide head coach. So the quarterback... Obviously, that he's the best name in the draft. And what's good about him is even though Elway's picking him and his track record is less than ideal, you finally have a veteran backup he can learn behind. He doesn't have to be thrown into the fire right away. They didn't have that luxury with Paxton Lynch. Um, in terms of coaching, though, there's so many names out there. Cooter's a great name, figuratively and literally. Uh, <laughs> Frank Reich, uh, John Filippo, David Shaw, Jim Harbaugh. There's coaches out there to be found. Well, the Frank, ideal- Reich, Frank Reich's in, in Indy. But I think you were thinking of... Uh- Mount LaFleur. Yes, there we go. Oh, sorry, but yeah, I was, I was thinking about last year. Um, you have to got, get an offensive guy. It can't be defensive. Offensive coach, high-profile quarterback, and then it's too soon to save right now. It's only week five. We don't know what's going to happen with the defense, with the coaching staff. But for right now, as we can project it on October 7th, yep. a offensive coach, and there's a ton out there, and a high-profile quarterback like Herbert, the Broncos will probably have a top-five pick. It's all contingent right now. But that's my ideal offseason for sure. Yeah. Next question. I agree. Next question comes from Matthew Slagle. Can we just call Keenum a bust on his contract? And then his follow-up exercise in some demons. I'd much prefer we be done with it and get an actual QB. Also, 
would like a young offensive mind to be the next head coach or someone like Dave Tobe from Kansas City. Time to rebuild, not retool. And before you answer that question on Keenum, I think we've kind of answered that already. But before you officially answer for Matthew, I think that the Broncos are treading dangerously to the point of blowing it all up and rebuilding, starting yep. from scratch. Like that, this formula, they think I think that's the only way for them to break the cycle of we're only one quarterback away from winning it all. And that's maybe a topic for another time, but it might be getting closer to that point where it's like, look, time to rebuild, time to blow it up. Well, what did Joseph say when he got hired? Hey, it's not a, re- it's not a rebuild, it's a reboot. It's time to rebuild. The system is not responding. The system is glitching right now. It needs more than a reboot right now. So in terms of, you know, the next coach, yeah, I agree with you, Matthew. And it has to be an offensive mind or a veteran coach at the minimum. Dave Taub is a great name. He was way more experienced. I know you're a fan of him too, Chad. He was way more experienced than Vance Joseph. He would have been a great hire. Very respected coach. Um, Keenum, though, right now, it's too soon to say overall. It's only been five games. But right now, yeah, that contract's a bust. It was a team-friendly deal. They got him below market value, 18 a year, uh, 25 guaranteed, 36 overall. But what return on investment are the Broncos getting? He already has as many interceptions as he had last year. He's not arguably won a game by the strength of his arm. He's making boneheaded mistakes. He's playing tentatively, not leading this offense, not sparking this offense. So, yeah, right now the the contract is a bust, but at the time it was a good value. You never really know. you got to roll the dice. you got to take a chance. Yep. But, yeah, $18 million a year, what is he giving them? I don't see much. No. And there is no question that he's going to be in Denver next year. Now, it might be on a restructured deal. Like, they might say, hey, look, you know, we paid you $25 million guaranteed, so that means that $7 million is guaranteed, but that's all we're going to pay you unless you, you know, or we'll cut you or whatever. And maybe he'll say, okay, cut me. But if that's – if the Broncos take that approach next year – That'll mean that Case Keenum's value on the open market is next to nothing besides being a an above-average backup, which is really what he's he's shown himself and revealing himself to be. Now we move on. One more question, then we're getting out of here because we're running long. From Brandon Graves on Twitter, at Graves809, when will Chad Kelly start? So let's say, and again, and this kind of ties in also to something Cole Mason sent us about Assuming Denver loses against the Rams next week, could that be enough for Joseph to get canned, et cetera, et cetera? What, let's answer two questions with one, at one time here, Zach. What, how would the chips need to fall? Under what scenario do you envision Denver having the gumption to pull the trigger on inserting Chad Kelly? And if they lose to the Rams and the Chiefs, are all bets off for Vance Joseph? Is it just a, a matter of time? I still think for as long as Joseph is here, he's going to continue riding Case Keenum. That's his meal ticket right now. That's keeping his job security what it is. So as long as Keenum remains healthy and Joseph is the coach, he Keenum will be the starting quarterback. It would take a, a multiple game losing streak for Joseph to be fired, maybe by the bye week. And then after that, if the season's down the toilet, if they're you know in their tank mode or they're just looking to the offseason, then you play Chad Kelly. No, no reason to risk Case Keenum there. You know what you have in him. So he won't start right now unless there's injury or a massive blowout either way, like 41 nothing type of blowout. But if they go into the bye week and they fire Joseph and they have an interim coach and they have a losing record, then you might see Keenum get set if there's a, a lackluster effort. Then they might pull him. But start outright, it's not going to happen in the very near future. That's just what I feel. So if the Broncos lose the next two games, that will put them at 2-5. and five. 
And I think at that point, you know, the Broncos might be able to talk themselves into saying, oh, well, we just played the two best teams back-to-back. So, you know, hard to get a beat on what this team is when you're playing the best teams. Well, you also lost to the Jets on the road, a 1-3 and team that hadn't won since the season opener. So let's face the facts here. This team has to make some changes. But what I would say is I think that, again, with the the caliber of opponent the Broncos are facing this week, they're not going to replace Case Keenum. But I think if they lose these two games coming up, which it's all signs point to them doing just that, I think there's going to be some legitimate uh, conversations about Chad Kelly. I really do, because the Broncos know, as you said, what they have in Case Keenum by this point, and they know he's under contract for next year. But they also know they're going to need to solve their quarterback situation for next year, and they might have the solution to that equation already on the roster. And just playing them in Week 16 or Week 17 isn't going to be enough information to really give them an educated, actionable amount of intelligence with which to operate in the draft. So they're going to need to see more of an extended look at Chad Kelly is what I'm getting at. And I think for both Chad Kelly and Vance Joseph, you're looking at the bye week. That's kind of where things are going to start to coalesce. And if there's going to be some real wholesale changes made, it won't be until then. But unfortunately, the odds are by that point, no matter what changes Broncos make, their season's probably going to be in the tank. Because this was the turning point game. This was it. They knew the mountain of a task that faced them coming out of week five with with just their next two opponents. And this is where they had to put their foot in the ground and pivot. And they couldn't do it. And even worse than that, they completely just disintegrated as a team from the players on both sides of the ball to the coaches. So this is a really sticky situation. And again, I say, Zach, we're in uncharted waters. So nothing I've said tonight, like all bets are off. Like I would not be surprised to see the Broncos do anything at this point, whether it's fire the coach, fire a coordinator, bench the quarterback. Like I think they're literally getting into uncharted territory where all bets are off. Let me just say this. I'll, I'll, not only I think will they support Keenan this week, I think they talk him up more than usual. This is a revenge game for him. He was formerly of the Rams, and they're playing Wade Phillips. They want to win this game. This is almost like their Super Bowl to them. So nothing's going to happen this week. They want to have their best quarterback in place and what they think is their best coaching staff. No changes this week. But if they get blown out by the Rams, which is a, a distinct possibility, and they drop to uh, two and four, four games in a row, and that at home, I agree with you, all bets are off. But this week, everything is going to remain status quo. His seat is on fire right now, Vance Joseph. Case Keenum is shaping up as a bust. The team is falling apart. But I think they hold it together with gum and tape just for one more week for the Rams to come to town. After that, then we can start talking about wholesale changes. My head tells me you're right. My heart tells me that's a huge mistake. they got to make a change now. If they want to salvage anything from this season, but I don't, I just don't think it's it's going to happen. But again, I really do think that we have we have waded into uncharted territory here, uncharted waters. So we'll see. It's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks, um, but it might be, as Zach said, a status quo situation. Knowing the caliber of opponent they're facing, they don't want to tempt the football gods beyond the point in which they already have. But listen, is it time to hit the panic button? You bet your ass it is. Things are going sideways. They've officially gone off the rails. So if the changes are made, though, sooner than later, possibly this season can be salvaged. It's just not looking like it's going to happen. Fans are already talking about the draft next week or uh, next year. So 
We'll see how it shakes out, but that's all the time we got for today. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen, and make sure you're subscribing, y'all, no matter where you're listening to the show. Make sure that you leave a creative review, and above all else, rate the show. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to Building the Broncos. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.